Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Calixto Chinchilla. Calixto is the founder and executive director of the New York Latino Film Festival presented by HBO. Calixto, what's going on, man? Hi, how are you? Happy Sunday. (laughs) Happy Sunday. What are you up to today? Walk us through a a day in the life of a festival director on a Sunday. On a Sunday, it's hopefully to relax, but I've been uh, honestly just trying to catch up on content. So uh, believe it or not, our programmers are, you know, we're trying to crack down on this content. We have a lot that's, that's getting submitted. Our first call for entry just actually ended on Friday, our early bird. So, of course, we got swamped. Well, thankfully, we got swamped with a lot of content, and now we have another deadline that's next month. So, basically, you know, it's just trying to figure out what, you know, what this thing is going to look like. And, you know, now is the time where we start shaping out what we think the programming is going to be. I've been going to a lot of festivals, so we've been traveling to different festivals. I just came back from Miami International, looking at some stuff there. So You're our first festival director on the podcast, so we would really love to talk, you know, all things, what it means to be a festival director, and also, even uh, more importantly, from a writing perspective, what your mm-hmm. words of wisdom are, like how, you know, what kind of lens you look at writing from suggestions to writers, how to get into festivals, these kind of things. I guess we could start with New York Latino Film Festival. Yeah, I mean, when the festival started, I was, you know, 23, you know, I don't want to say filmmaker, but I guess that's what I was. You know, trying to make, you know, a short and going to school full-time, working full-time, living at home full-time, that kind of thing. And in the process, you know, you kind of just learn a lot of lessons. You kind of get screwed over by vendors, like all these first time lessons that you get, right? Like this didn't work out. They should have signed this deal. I should sign that. And at the same time, I realized that there wasn't anything that was around to exhibit the work. So when you're done with it, well, where do we go? And this is back in like 1998. And you had this moment where, hey, there wasn't really anything happening, believe it or not in the city for Latinos at the time. Like, there wasn't a film, like, nothing, surprisingly not. And it's not like you had Tribeca around at that time or anything else that was, like, kind of major. You know, Sundance was the thing. And yet you had a culture that was really on the come up, like, you know, according to the census, popular culture. This is where Ricky Martin was about to bust out, and, like, everybody was talking about this Latino growing market. And you had studios that were kind of just a little bit on notice, but like, what do we do with them? And within that, you had a bunch of creators and, and people. You had content, and you had a growing culture that was growing at, at a, an accelerated rate. And so for me, it was like, well, how do we, or why don't we try to come up with something that kind of showcases the best of what we got? And I'm a bicultural Latino, and I knew that there was other folks that were just like me, and I know there was plenty of content that was coming from folks like me that I just wanted to see. And it's like, well, how about we try to do something that's truly reflective of the multiculturalism of not only being Latino, but the multiculturalism of, of New York. And that's when the idea of the film festival kind of came to be. And um, yeah, that's how we, we kind of started. It was really, Milton was there, a friend, a friend, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Disclosure. 
Milton Diaz, who's a, a short program of ours, was there from the very beginnings, one of our early days. And yeah, it was really kind of just ragtag, but we really wanted to present them something that was really uh, polished, like projection quality, production quality that was like the utmost importance. So even if we show less films, but the quality was on point, that's what we wanted. And we also wanted to show everything on film. It's not like you had a lot of Blu-rays happening at the time, but everything was projected on film. And in 2000, you had the first New York Latino Film Festival, and uh, HBO came on board uh, since the inception. And 16 years later, you know, thank God, you know, we're, we're still here. Tell us about the evolution of the festival. I went recently, shout out to Milton. And when I last went, it was at the AMC 25, I believe, in uh, Midtown, which is a huge, massive, you know, iconic theater. And you had a, you know, crazy VIP area and very successful professional festival. How did you get from point A to point B? You know, I, I tell you, it was always about that. I literally, because in my mind, we had to compete against the general market festivals. So I had to change whatever perception somebody may have or whatever prejudice somebody may have of what a Latino festival was going to be. And it's like, no, we wanted quality, projection quality, sound quality. I mean, I remember I went to Dolby and I'm like, we're going to Dolby up these theaters. Like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we carried, you know, I'll be sure to tell you, we carried, we lugged prints out everywhere. I had a truck and we just lugged prints around from like theater to theater. Our first theaters were on 59th Street and Park Avenue. Like at the Florence School Hall, we took over like a strip of theaters on between 59th Street, uh, Lexington, all the way to 59th Street on First Avenue. And some of those things don't exist anymore, unfortunately. But there used to be a bunch of single houses that existed, if you remember back in the day, behind Bloomingdale's and behind all of that. And we took over those theaters. And it's like our first year, you know, Girl Fight, you know, was a breakthrough film. We also had our song, uh, which uh, was from Jim McKay, and uh, it had a then young Harry Washington. And we just had, we, we were lucky that first year we had a lot of breakout that legitimized the festival. And then in tandem, you, you had filmmakers that were willing to take the risk on a festival that had no, nothing to show for it, just an idea. And... You know, I, I remember we had to beg for these films. I remember for Girlfriend, I, I begged for a New York premiere. Like, I pitched my ass off just to get that film. And when we got it, you know, it could have easily played the New York Film Festival. And this nobody bid festival got it. Got the biggest thing at Sundance at the time. And that kind of changed the game from the start. And then, you know, obviously having a... a you know, tying with HBO certainly helped. You know, they they kind of look at us for acquisitions. I mean, we've been fortunate they, they do buy a festival. You know, so I think that that kind of helped out. And then just, you know, asking people to, to come on board. Like, we really pushed this thing to get maybe organizations that wouldn't sponsor anything like, you know, to consider doing it. And I think that just kind of changed what we were, you know, to what we are now. And, you know, now, you know, we have a digital conference. We have a whole digital conference with Google where we take either app developers or influencers or industry leaders of color and put them in a room. It's like, okay, what is, what are we doing in the social game? 
doing that for the past two years. And then we have the festival itself. And, you know, we're trying to branch off to strategically to different programming and in other areas of content. So that's, that's kind of the place that, you know, we're at now. You know, you're a festival director. Is that your actual title? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Festival director. director. So we have a programmer. We don't really have a festival director per se. Usually in some festivals, they have a festival director and that, that director kind of directs, uh, directs the festival and directs the programming. We kind of separated off. So we have um, a programming director and within that programming director, there's, you know, different teams with shorts, documentary, feature narrative, and animation. How would you describe your roles? Walk us through a day in the life, what you're doing, uh, what's your involvement in the programming side? On the business side, is, is top-level business. Everything from partner, you know, from, from partnership management and partners to, you know, to getting the, the top-level stuff, you know, tied up. And then on the programming side, it's kind of just working with our team to come up with the tone. Looking at means going to festivals, thinking of big box ideas, maybe things we want to do. So it's really just kind of coming up with the tone and seeing what sticks and what doesn't. Sometimes we have ideas that don't stick, and then there's some that, okay, this is going to really happen, and let's go. And some of that is determined by funding. Some of it is determined by time. So we, we kind of mutually just gather it together. I, I would say I'm more of a ringleader when it comes to programmers. So when there's a fight or there's a tie, I kind of kind of just jump in and break it. I support the programming as far as you know the scheduling, and that's that's pretty much it. And really, just creative direct, you know, our, our commercials to our look and feel. Um, anyone who knows us, you know, we don't market this festival like with typical festival commercials and typical festival creative. We really like to really think out the box when it comes to how we market the festival. And so um, that gets me excited, like figuring out the creative direction, what we want to do. Because really, at the end of the day, it's about culture. You know, it's about film and culture, but it's really, I think, makes us really unique. It's, a, it's about film and culture and community. And you got to understand, again, if you, if you look at our place in, as far as New York events are concerned, I guess for Latinos, it really wasn't, much like it. There have been some small movements, but, you know, nothing like this where we kind of had to not teach a community, but get a community to understand what the importance of a film festival was and how the audience, how, you know, what the importance of their role was. Because at the end of the day, you know, the audience, they're the people who pay our bills. They're the people who, you know, validate, okay, is it, you know, validate by their butts in the seats, right? And so really getting them to understand that their importance in it, but also understanding these filmmakers and getting them to, to talk to that. And so that's, you know, that's it's really uh, my role every day is, you know, to try to protect all of that. You mentioned the tone from a programming perspective. How informed by modern day trends is that tone? Are you kind of looking at it based on what's trending now, or are you kind of looking to kind of create it from scratch, like on your own? How do you choose what that tone is? It varies. I mean, sometimes you can't, for example, you, you can't, there's only so much you can control, right? And right. so, obviously, in the Trump era, 
there's a lot of conversation and in in content. I knew this was going to happen, and so it's how do we limit it? You know what I mean? And so I I can literally have a you know a screw Trump film festival. How much content is out there? We can't do that, right? And so how do we? You know, if we're going to show that kind of stuff, like, how do we limit it? I'm only going to show one, that stuff, or two. And how do you pick the best of the... So some of those things I can't control, but I can control the the amount of it, or whatever. You, you, either way, you want to create an even palette of those napkins, you know? And so it's tough because there's a lot of good quality content that's taking the issues from different angles. I've seen them from the children's perspectives to the political perspective to socioeconomic, all of that. And so the tough part is getting that balance and finding out how much of it, of anything. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, you get a lot of immigration stories. I can't show that. I, I can't show all those. And some of them are great. Some of them are a little redundant. And some of them really, like, take you somewhere that you never thought. And so you have to create, like, a a balance, you know? And so that's a tough thing, um, because not only are we getting these stories from the U.S., but you're also getting those stories from abroad. And that's the hardest part. It's even harder on short films, because the same thing with short films, you know, you can get out of, I mean, last year, well, this year, there's a lot of gay content we're seeing already from different angles. And again, I can throw a gay film festival right now what I've got, what I've been seeing, but I can't. So that's the fight. It's like, ooh, how do you, what makes it to a semi to what makes it to a final? That's the hardest part because we don't show as much content as we did before. Like before we would show like 100 titles. Now I'm at about 60, all in. So it's tough. It gets refit over it, especially in the shorts. It it can be really tough, tough, tough. Tell us about the voices you're looking for. I imagine when you guys sit down and think about the festival and who you want to give a voice to, could you walk us through who those people are and who you want to give a voice to? We're getting different kind of voices. So I think you know our festival's always been inclusive, so it doesn't. You know, the filmmaker need not be Latino, and neither does the subject need to be about Latinos, as long as there's, you know, a Latino person of color in a position of power. So we realized early on that you had people that were out of the culture making images of it, and then you had, of the culture, and then you had filmmakers that didn't want to just be regulated to making images of the culture, they just wanted to make film. You know what I mean? Whatever. And so we had, from, the, from Jump Street, we had to be cognizant of that so there's no particular kind you know i think we're really we've always been open i think as content has changed meaning you know as content started changing we started changing categories so for example you know we have a midnight section because we started seeing alternative a lot of alternative content that didn't exactly fit into the feature narrative like a straight narrative or documentary, or whatever, it was a little bit offbeat. And so we created that category. Then we got into digital series, 
And we actually had a couple of digital series got picked up uh, last year, but we started digital. And then we got into a digital conference because, you know, you had content creators in that side that were trying to cross over into making film. So I think we try to be flexible as soon as we see trends or something that's worthy of a new category or worthy of a, a new avenue of direction. It's interesting to hear your perspective because I know that for a lot of filmmakers, there a lot of times you're looking from the outside in and you don't get to hear the perspective of the, the director hearing what they want to see or what makes sense for the festival. Do you have any tips for writers or directors as far as the content that they're submitting from the very early inception stage? Idea-wise, are there things they can do that will behoove them to get into, let's say, your festival? Are there things they shouldn't be doing? Well, certainly all these festivals have the writer programs. So it's not like there's a separate, I don't know of many beach or even shorts programs that are specific to like a writer's festival or anything. You know what I'm saying? A lot of these things, these opportunities happen at film festivals. So I think you're probably as good as your collaborator. A lot of the writers that we get are writer directors. So you know, if you're not a writer-director, you're just a sole writer, I think for some of these programs or whatever, you know, these competition programs, it's probably best that you you work to find a collaborator early. If that's, you know, if you're not one or the other, you know what I'm saying? So I think there's that. I think for us, you know, we're still trying to answer some of those questions. I mean, because we're trying to develop another writer's program. We're not sure we want to get into feature film or television. There's a lot of opportunities in television right now. And television is not just the straight 18-episode order anymore. Like, now you have a event series. You have, obviously, the miniseries has always been there. But, you know, and then you, you have series like, you know, like polls that are not straight one-hour series or half-hour series. You look at Ryan, that show, every episode is a different length. You know what I mean? There's no set length. So, you know, or you have shows like Atlanta. You know, where this, you know, Charles Gambino has like a lot of liberty, you know, with that right. show. So there's a lot of opportunities in TV that we're trying to explore. And diversity and inclusion is like really loud and clear, like right now. And so I think the conversation's loud, but there's opportunities certainly in that area. There's certainly like a lot of opportunity for diverse voices and storytelling. But right now, you know, it's just getting to that getting to that place. So, you know, certainly for a writer, start going to these festivals and collaborate, you know. What are the incentives for a filmmaker these days to get their film into a film festival? In the early, I want to say the 90s or whatever, the Sundance Film Festival is huge. And, you know, everyone's dream was to get a film into a film festival and then maybe they can get an agent and that kind of thing. What are, you know, the realistic expectations for someone to submit to the festival, you know, what could come of it? I know you guys partnered with HBO. Is there a particular success story that you guys could shout out? Or Knock on wood, there have been plenty. I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. So the answer is the end-all, be-all for a lot of people. And then, you know, then he has Slam Dance that came from it and all these right, other festivals. Right. Then Tribeca kind of changed the game on some levels. But even Tribeca, if you look at it, Tribeca has yet to have its Sundance. I mean, it's Sex, Pies, and Videotape moment. They've yet to have like, a big breakthrough come out of that festival. And so that's still the place, you know, where a lot of these 
for niche festivals like ours, yeah, I mean, it, it's a lot of opportunity because, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll get a film that we pitch from Sundance, we'll play at our festival, and totally get a different audience reaction. And that's usually when a distributor will make a decision. Like, okay, let's see how a film plays with this audience. And let's see how it plays with this audience. It plays with this audience and see if I got something, if I have multiples in this thing, if I buy it. And so we've noticed that a lot. You know, for example, we had a film called Saturday Church, which played at Tribeca. And then I opened with it. And mind you, no black or Latino film still played with this film. And it's a Latino film that's like, it's quasi-musical. That's like literally like La La Land meets Moonlight, seriously. It has some musical sequences. It's really good. Um, and it played at Tribeca, and I usually don't play something that's played in New York. But I noticed I didn't see the audience that was reflective of the film. So I felt like I had an opportunity. And there was nothing, there was no other niche festival that played it, meaning no no black or Latin festival had played this film. So I decided to open with it. We opened with it, Samuel Goldwyn picks it up. And immediately, the director, like in Carthasis, like that opening night, he was like, I've never played this film amongst people of color. Like, I've never played this film to the people that this film's about. And the cast felt the same way. And so uh, that's when you realize you have an impact. And that's maybe at the time where distributors like, aha, now I got it. Uh, you know, we had the same with, you know, Philly Brown. I don't know if you remember this movie with Gina Rodriguez. But that film kind of got developed at the festival because the director and the writer, ah, so here's a good story. Of our writer directors. The director and the writers both met at the film festival with two separate projects. The short, yeah, like two separate shorts or whatever. And Gina Rodriguez was just an attendee. She was an actress at NYU. They collaborated. And they met here and they decided to collaborate on a script. That script became Philly Brown. To bring her in because they just met her. A year later, the film's at Sundance and it premieres at the film festival at the New York Latino Film Festival. So those are stories where, you know, you never know what can happen. And we really try to create spaces for those kind of conversations to happen. I mean, the past two years, our best short has been picked up. That's, you know, that's, that's pretty rare. <laughs> this year we had like eight pickups across the board at the festival. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's opportunity, you know, you just also have to play the right festival. It's kind of getting, you know, some of these festivals, uh, you know, as a whole, it gets a little oversaturated, but the cream of the crop, you know, sticks out. But, you know, I always, I always tell a filmmaker, play your top years, whether it's San Francisco International or Chicago, your Tribeca, your Sundance, do your secondary if it's niche. You know, maybe you do your top niche festivals, and that's kind of a all in line, and then see what happens. And, you know, you know, if your stuff is good, something, you know, will manifest. Something, something will trigger. So, yeah, there's a tremendous benefit. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny because uh, there was an article that I, I found out we were just on uh, Video Maker Magazine this month, this month. And a filmmaker who played our festival kind of told his story, and he was a director, a documentary, and Tribeca passed on it. Sundance passed on it. Everybody passed on it. We almost passed on it until we had a conversation. We gave him some notes. We talked to him. And sure enough, Fox picked up the film. And so we've had a lot of those stories where, you know, maybe a distributor will react to something else where they know that the target is interested in it, when they know that they have an audience. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to take a quick second to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support. The Writer Experience Podcast has been self-funded from the beginning. So whether you're an aspiring writer who has taken inspiration from the podcast or just enjoy hearing from professional writers, please donate to our Patreon at patreon.com slash writer experience. You can also go to our website, writerexperience.com, and click the Patreon button. Thank you again. We really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. When you say... Um a distributor picks up a film. I imagine sometimes that's HBO. Other times, like you said, it's a different studio. Does that imply that there is programmers or, or development people or acquisitions people, I should say, at the festival? Or are you guys distributing? Oh, yeah. Take, okay. Uh, okay. I'm worried. Yeah. Very cool. We get like figured off, but yeah, like who who may come? But yeah. Because you've obviously partnered with HBO, is there an expected number? we're going to pick up this many per year or how does that relationship work? No, it's a, you, you never know what, what, what happens. I mean, so no, there isn't an expectation. The expectation is really on us. It's a pressure on us to deliver a tight program that's kind of diverse, you know, and even, but no, there isn't. I wish there was a quote. <laughs> <I don't laughs> four movies a year, but. No, sometimes it's more than others. This year was more than than last year, and we had from different places. You know, here TV, here networks picked up some stuff. You know, we we had a pickup from a SCX was looking at something. HBO picked up some stuff. So it, it varies. You know, last year we had Fox. We had that, that situation with Fox. So you never know. But all those are blessings. You mentioned going to other film festivals. Are you letting what you're seeing at other festivals inform what you guys do at your festival? And is there a particular festival that you think is really doing it right? A little. I mean, I go, I look at how people activate, or I look at how the festival is. And yeah, I mean, that's a given, you know, even though we're, we're going to present things our way, and I mean, we're going to do our own thing, and our audience is different. But I, I certainly look at a look and a feel you know, from other festivals, but I'll go to Sundance, uh, I'll check out Sundance or San Diego, Miami International, our programmers will visit Guadalajara, which is in Mexico, or the Panama Film Festival, there's like big international festivals, just so we have a presence in Latin America. So yeah, you know, and I, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll tell people I'm going to be there, some people, and sometimes I don't, because I don't want the pressure. I don't like your film. Like, I, don't, I don't want the pressure of like, the filmmaker waiting for me. But, you know, yeah, I certainly am I'm scouting and, and picking up material. And that, that's the other thing, is that you do your pickups, and 
then you have the stuff that submitted to you. Last year we did very few pickups. You know, and I'll pick up stuff across the board from shorts, documentary, whatever. How do filmmakers who have made their films make smart choices when submitting to film festivals, including yours? Smart choices? Yeah, because, you know, festivals cost money. I right? think it's probably instructions. <laughs> I remember when we used to do this manually, even before Film Freeway. Before Film existed, we used to do stuff manually. So imagine that. Like, nothing could be worse than that, than getting a truckload of DVDs, and yeah, I think some VHSs, VHSs were fading out around that time, and everything was hand. Nothing's worse than that, but following instructions, making sure you got a cut that's ready, you know, not being opinion in the but also, you know, being respectful to the process. Like, there's some filmmakers that, you know, when they don't get in, some are really angry, you know what I mean? And I get it, but be professional. Be professional, all you do. Because if you can hold grace in the rejection, I'm going to remember you by that, then you going out on socials, talking mass or whatever it is, you know what I mean? So I think it's really, and also attend the festival. So if you're not, if you're rejected, come and find out why. Sometimes the reason is not even has to do with your film. Sometimes the reason is thematic, thematic balance, right? Some of it could be the film, but no matter what, we tell people, especially if you get accepted, I urge you to come and see the festival. Let's see what came in and still learn from it and then come back with something else. And so sometimes we'll, you know, we push for that. And then sometimes, occasionally, you know, if you see a film that's not perfect, that I probably wouldn't program, but I feel like a filmmaker can learn from it, we'll let them, we'll play them. Like, it has to be it's that exception. Like, if, you're, if you've got something and, I, I, you know, we think you could take something away from it, you know, we'll give you a shot. Now, if you come back the next year with this, you know, with something, the same crap, I'm not going to take it, you know what I mean? But and then I feel like you didn't learn the lesson. But I feel there's an opportunity for you to, to be a part of a, a group that's going to hopefully inspire you and educate you and, and you take that opportunity, then, you know, we'll do our best to give it to you. So we've had those exceptions, too. But also get to know the programmers, know the festival. Attend the festival. You know, I always tell people to do that. And network, you know, I don't, it's a small clique, especially amongst the larger festivals. Like, some of us really, we know each other. And some of us are talking about your film. I know programmers at Tribeca. I know programmers at Sundance. Sometimes we tip each other off, you know. If there's something that doesn't work for Sundance and they think I might like it, yeah, kind of recommendations. Same with Tribeca or vice versa. So, know that, you know, also know that some of us actually talk to each other. So, you know, be professional. As far as the packaging and the presentation, I know press kits at one point were very important. Are they still important? I know sometimes people get ahead of themselves and care more about the packaging than making sure the film's in, in the best place possible. How important is the actual packaging and presentation? Not worth it. Especially when I have money for it, it's not worth it. Unless you're going to Sundance or you're going to a market, and even then, you can get yourself a junior publicist, but I certainly wouldn't. Yeah, I mean, I think at a certain point of Sundance, everybody's living at the big publicists and do all that. I, I really don't think you 
you really need it. Unless you have talent, if you got some talent and you're trying to get an impression made, then yeah. If you don't have talent, you know, it doesn't really make sense. What about uh, Twitter or social accounts and websites? Is that important? Can a film live on its own without needing all these, you know, extra assets? Totally. I mean, that's, now that's different. <laughs> I mean, now that's the way to go. I mean, now you want to start that account as soon as you, you're finished writing, as soon as you get the money. You know, and I think that what's different about it now is that you can get people invested emotionally or curiosity, you know, what you're doing, especially if you're just real and authentic and, you know, you can get followers and people to follow your journey and become invested in the final product if you get them in early. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, but, you know, if you look at deadlines, you know, you know, once it, when they give their box office reports and deadline, they usually tell you like how it hits socially. You know, I mean, usually if it's if it's you know, especially like with the new Captain Marvel, whatever, you know, you got Captain Marvel. Of course, they're going to show you the social results. You know, okay, this celebrity, this this actor, you know, had this many impressions or whatever. All those things kind of help elevate, but also it's it's. It's that authenticity, that, that audience engagement, you know. So the Catch-22, if it sucks, <laughs> it, it backfires just like that. But if it's hit, then it works in your favor, right? So, yeah, everything's just instantaneous. And I tell somebody, I told somebody the other day, no matter how much you spend in marketing, nothing beats word of mouth. Nothing. I mean, look at Green Book, word of mouth. That movie was like, could have easily tanked. And it won an Oscar for Best Picture. Like, what a thought. <laughs> I mean, like, but that movie was on its way to tanking. And it became like, kind of like this year's greatest showman. Like, out of nowhere, it just had legs and it kept moving, moving, moving. People were talking about it. You know, it's like the greatest showman, you know? That movie was like, even crack top five, it's very sweet. And then slowly, you know. And, and the funny thing is, I think Greatest Showman made over 300 million or went over 200 million domestic without ever becoming number one. So, you know, word of mouth. Over your years working at the festival, what's the greatest challenge been? Money. <laughs> <laughs> Money. You constantly, you know, is raising it. You know, you definitely have corporations that, yeah, believe in what we're doing. So that's great. But, you know, money's kind of tight. You know, we're, we're emerging from a recession that impacted far and wide. Two recessions, actually. And if anything, you know, what impacts recession, like what, what gets impacted the first is you know, institutions of color. Like, the first that gets cut, the multicultural budget gets cut, period. The first. And everything else is next. And so you had a lot of organizations that were hemorrhaging and struggling to get back on their feet. And now you have everybody who's just kind of, we're kind of at a steady groove. You know what I mean, right now? So I think it's that. It's trying to, it's getting the budgets, you know, that you need to, to sustain. 
Yeah, that's always that's 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 the current struggle. You know. And also staying relevant because you wanna keep it fresh. You constantly wanna keep the festival fresh. Um, so it's not the same old, same old. What are you most excited about for this year's festival? Yeah, but there's a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff. I think the features game is certainly better. Our creative direction, I think, is going to be tight. We are, I don't know if you saw our trailers last year, but this year's stuff, I think, is going to be pretty pretty nice. And we always get new creative people, new directors, new creative teams that kind of help us out. And so I think that's going to be cool. I think, we'll see. It's still cooking, but good stuff, you know? Stuff. Uh, I like to say when it's fully manifested, like, but it's there. I could touch it, but I can't say it. <laughs> and what's the end game for the festival in general? What are the goals? Where do you want to be? What can we see in the upcoming years? Really, to become a cultural authority in this space. So between our digital conference, the festival, you know, these other programs, our incubation programs. I think I mentioned this to you before the the interview. We we had a a script to screen program for short filmmakers that ran for seven years for HBO, and a lot of us have all gotten like gotten stuff out of it. One of our directors is actually directing an episode for Queen Sugar this year for Ava DuVernay. Other directors have all gotten like big jump offs. They've either gotten their film distributed twice, like either do a run through HBO and a run with another network. So, you know, between us being identifier for talent, we really want to become like a cultural authority in this space. You know, and that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, and get into other areas as it gets into marketing, other clients that are looking to tap into this market. So it's not just a festival, but we kind of have like a reach that extends beyond the festival, which some of that stuff we're doing now, but yeah, like, you know, obviously we have this knowledge on the marketplace and we know creators globally and we have an audience that we know is young and it's affluent and diverse, then how do you take all those assets and you move it? And so, you know... We're authenticity. That's where we are. Is there one piece of advice or learning from your career as a festival director that you would like to pass along to aspiring writers, directors, even those aspiring to be festival directors? Oh my gosh. Good question, man. I know. (laughs) Damn, you stopped me. You know, this has all been a dream. Like, this was not... In the cars, it was a crazy ass dream to do a festival. And I think I had no instruction. I really didn't have like a big business. I don't think anybody else did. It wasn't, it literally was rooted in a dream. And I think for me, there's no book. There's some books now, you know, you could Google it. But if you realize, even Google just turned what, 20? <laughs> so all of it was kind of new. So I urge people to research, to don't be afraid of network. You never know, like, who you can, like, even if it's the biggest name, like, network. I remember begging Richard Benya, you know, who was at Film Society at at the time, but 
as you know, he was like the director for the New York Film Festival. This man is like kind of untouchable. And I literally begged this man, like I had nothing. I had no name, like nothing, just to talk to him. And he gave me like 15 minutes, maybe less. And that meant a lot to me, just like, you know, and I'm coming to this guy who's been there, done. I'm like, hey, I'm going to start a film festival. Get ready. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what? So I think you never know who you, who, you know, just talk to people, network and build, you know. And over time, hey, I've, I've spoken to Richard's classes at, at, at Columbia. So you never know what what comes off. Discount no one. Discount no one. You never know. And be sharp in your intuition. Life experience kind of teaches you that, but, you know, read, be intuitive, learn, be open. And for me, that, that kind of keeps you grounded even to this day. You know, I don't think I, I stay curious. I don't, I don't have all the answers. I don't want to know all the answers. And I think that that's what kind of keeps me open to this day is I'm, I'm still curious. I'm still excited. But they're not excited to do this. I'll stop. And there was a moment I stopped doing the festival. I really wasn't feeling it for a minute because I kept going nonstop. And what brought me back to this moment obviously was the change in, in technology and I guess how people are consuming media. Again, you didn't have Netflixes at that time or any of this stuff. But also what really excited me more you know, was kind of like, you know, unfortunately, unfortunately, I guess the state of the world, you know, is not only with the presidential situation, but just everything was, you know, there was a period where this, there was a lot of things that were happening, you know, between police brutality and corruption that you saw in the news, you know, and then, you know, in Miami, you, you had that, the gay shooting and everybody was struggling to get their names read. And then you had a presidential election. All this was happening like two years ago, whatever, if you remember. And this is when I felt like the festival had some relevancy to come back. And I stopped doing it for like three years. And this is when I was like, you know what? This is going to be a turn. This is something different. And I feel like we have a message and we have a platform that can support that, these voices, that message like now. And I felt like that's what inspired me to even come back. So I stopped doing the festival. I stopped when the recession hit. But coming back, I felt more ignited. And I think in turn, you had creators that were equally more ignited to own their narrative. You know, even the news media was kind of like slanted. And, you know, if you look at the documentaries that are coming out now, you know, you got filmmakers even more like, I'm going to tell the story. We're not, we're not going to see an end this thing. We're going to tell some real stories. And that, for me, kind of inspired me even more to, to come back. It certainly wasn't financial, but it was really just the opportunity, you know, to, to own a narrative and be a business of color and to do that, you know. To be able to create this platform, you know, and, and hopefully make it rock solid. So again, you know, stay curious, stay open, stay woke, 
learn, listen, all those things. Amazing. Love it. So we normally have a section we like to call a series of seemingly random questions. We just have a couple this time around. The first one being, if you could take any writer or director to a fast food restaurant, which writer, which director would you choose and why? Oh my gosh. I could take a writer. A writer and a director to a, a restaurant? All right. Gosh. We always ask this question. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Uh, you know, maybe, uh, oh my gosh. You know, it could be, <laughs> maybe it could be, um, Aaron Sorkin. Okay. Maybe, uh, Aaron Sorkin. See, I got you guys stumped here. Uh, Lin Manuel. Or maybe he was Lin Manuel. Was that right? You know what? All right. Lin Manuel and Spike Lee in a room. That would be really interesting to me. What kind of food would you take them to? What would I take them to? Someplace in Brooklyn, probably. <laughs> some spot, some pizza joint in Brooklyn. And, like, sound off. I think that would be interesting. Well, something with Aaron Sorkin, because I like him. I would love to sit at the, in a, I mean, who wouldn't want a dinner with Steven Spielberg? So, of course. And I met him in passing once. I never really got to say, like, much. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, who could be really interesting? Also, you know, like, something with George Lucas. He's really <laughs> That would be interesting. That would be very interesting. A lot of questions to ask him. A lot of questions. Him and an independent filmmaker. Because George Lucas sometimes like to pass him off like an independent filmmaker, and I get it. You're independent, but you're real mega rich. You're a billionaire independent filmmaker, brother. So sometimes <laughs> I see him in interviews, and he's like, I'm an independent filmmaker. Yeah, you are, but you know, <laughs> I don't got toys. I don't got merch. Right. But I, I would probably want to have like an interview with with George and another indie filmmaker that's trying to do genre work like a real serious conversation like and it could be any one of our filmmakers you know somebody who's played at the festival or something like that so that that could be interesting even producers like we there's a producer that's really that I have my eye on because he writes books uh, this guy, his name is Devon Franklin. Have you heard of this guy? He used to be at BTS Sony. He used to be, he used to run Overbrook for Will Smith. I found out about this guy on Oprah on her Super Soul things, but this is a story. It's interesting. So he's, uh, he's the FBSVP of Sony, and he's a minister on the side, and he wrote this book called Produced by Faith, which is the book that I read that Oprah had recommended. And literally, the book reads out like a script, like a whole, like a production. So it's your life and God is the director. And it goes from the, every chapter is every bit of production from the script development, like how you develop your life and career. So he talks about that. And then he talks about distribution. So distribution is how people, you know, when you recommend somebody, I just distributed you. Say you gotcha. should talk to, you know, to James or talk to whoever. I just distribute that person, right? And then it gets into marketing. 
And again, so all these things of how you make a movie that juxtaposes to life. Wow. How God is the director of this. And it's brilliant. It's pretty good. You should take a look at that book. And, um, yeah, yeah, he's done a couple of, you know, now he's at Fox. But, uh, and yeah, I found out about him, yeah. And, uh, so he's somebody interesting. I'm, 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 he's interesting. Well, we'll have to set up that lunch between you guys. <laughs> um, our next question is the most important question of the interview. Did you have fun today? Did I have fun today? Did you have fun with us? Yeah. On the podcast? Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It was good. It was really Amazing. good. So tell us, Calixto, when is the festival happening? Give us all those important dates. You know, we're, we're still... It's August. At least it's not yet, because either it'll be the second or the, it's either it'll be the second or the third week of August, and we'll make that decision by Friday next week, if not sooner. And a lot of that is just venues and like mm-hmm. availability of talent and all that. So we're eyeing in on two weeks, but we know it's going to happen in August, certainly around the same time frame. That specific date, give me another week, but we'll make a we'll make announcements. But in the meantime, you know, we certainly uh, encourage people to check us out on, on Instagram. We have a really active Instagram community. So follow us. And as programs and things develop, you know, we let people know immediately. Hopefully we get this writer's thing up and jumping. You know, that's going to be an exciting opportunity. So we're working aggressively on that. Because even writers, diverse writers, is, is you know, critical. Well, thank you, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. I love what you're doing. And let's, let's stay in touch. We're all in New York, so. Yeah, I, I hope to see you guys at the festival. Absolutely. We'll stop by right. for sure. Yeah, happy Sunday, guys. Thank you all so right. much. Thanks so much, Calixto. Cheers, and right. thank you to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.